I know that as I was reading these passages this last week, um, there's a, a verse, 1 Peter 1.17, towards the beginning of a reading we did this morning. It said, if you invoke his father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. And so there's these, these conversations they do in this book of First Peter where they talk about exile and ransom and destiny and revelation. And it's funny because if you read only the New Testament letters that weren't written by a guy named Paul, there's this like spiritual, mystical, apocalyptic flavor to the letters, right? It's this like broad sweeping statement about everything where Paul gets all distracted in like how you ought to live and how people live together. The rest of the letters have this big picture, like you are exiles, you are, you know, all the all this kind of like big picture stuff. And so with that theme of exile, it, it, it's alluding to like part of the Jewish people's history, but it's super out of context. Um, the Jewish exile was like 600 years before Christ was born. Um, and so Babylon and Persia came in and they conquered the promised land where the Israelites were living. And the exile ended less than 100 years later. And so then 500 years after all of that is over, the author of Peter is talking about the Jewish people who live in the promised land being exiles from the promised land. <laughs> so you're just like, okay, what do you, clearly there's something else going on. There's something else he's referencing. And so just like during the first Jewish exile, though, there were Christians in the first and second centuries. They were living in an empire that was super hostile. Right, So Nero burned Rome, looked around for a scapegoat, and decided to blame the Christians for the fire, and then started burning Christians alive. Um, there's another Nero emperor that came a little while after called Caligula, and he made Nero look sane, um, which took some doing. <laughs> um, so there's no real home for Christians of this period. There's no, there's no place where they could like, okay, this is where we Christians can set up camp and be super comfy because everyone likes us here. Like, that just... That place didn't really exist. And so they felt like they were exiles all over again, even if maybe they lived 300 feet from their birthplace, right? And so in First Peter 1, it goes on, it says, you know you've been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, but you weren't ransomed with perishable things like silver or gold or money. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ from a lamb with no blemish and no defect, which is a callback to the Old Testament sacrifices. If you're going to atone for something, you give your best, right? And so there's all these like historical cross-references going on in just three verses. And so, but that's your way home though. Like that's the way home from exile that the author of Peter is offering, right? He's saying, look, you, you don't feel at home. You feel like you're being persecuted. You don't have a place where you feel comfortable. Like nothing is going right right now but you've been ransomed by the blood of Christ because he was this lamb without blemish or defect. And so just like those early Christians, I feel a little solidarity right now. Um, I am not going to say that I am being persecuted anywhere near to the same level. Um, but lately, especially with all the restrictions on who you can talk to and when and where you can go, I feel very out of place. I feel like everything's been turned upside down. I feel like what I thought was like my home and my normal routine has been completely switched up and it's kind of been taken from me. Um, and yet first Peter chapter three says we have this hope in Christ 
that we should be ready to explain to anyone who asks about it. And we've been ransomed by this blood and this exile. And so now all of a sudden we've got this tension, right? Where you don't feel like you're home, but we have this hope that we're ready to offer to anyone who talks about it and anyone who notices like, okay, well, you're in the middle of this exile kind of feeling. Why is it that you have hope? And we need to be ready to answer, like to give an answer for that. We need to be able to say, well, this is the blood of Christ. This is the sacrifice that God made for me. And that's, that's what makes me feel at home, even when I'm not at home, right? And so I, I have a few thoughts about that. And one is like, we shouldn't get too comfortable because this world is always going to feel exile, right? If you ever find yourself totally aligned with your government or people who are in power or large corporations, you're probably doing it wrong as a Christian. Um, Jesus was continually poor and relying on people to buy him dinner. Um, you know, Jesus had a bunch of like fishermen who were not rabbinical scholars following him around and those are the 12 dudes he decided to teach and they had a bunch of other people who like nobody was really rich except the women the women bankrolled everything um the women had all the money <laughs> and there was a bunch of like guys who just kind of like leached off of their purse right um but yeah so like if you ever find yourself like on the side of power where you like you have a nice bank account and like you're all set up you might have missed the point you're supposed to be in exile that's that's where we're supposed to be because the powers and the empires in this world right now are not christian they are not christ-like and they probably never will be because christ-like people don't collect power that's not what they're about and so that's not what we should be about and so if covid and oppression and injustice and despair are starting to get you down um you can take hope because they don't get the last word. The ransom has already been paid, right? And so if, if you're feeling like we're all stuck home because you feel like there's a real, very real chance that if I leave my home and I get this thing, I'm at risk. And even if I would recover from it, there's a risk that I could pass it to someone and it would hurt them. So like there's this very real like pervasive fear and kind of just depression going on that is justified and so we, we live in this, like, this, this tension, right, where we want to, like, acknowledge that, yes, this is actually awful. We don't want to deny that it's bad. But we also want to acknowledge at the same time the paradox that, yes, it's bad, but it's already been defeated. We have already been ransomed. That cost, that price has already been paid, and it's not something we had to do. And so I look forward to, like, the good work that needs to be done. Like... I don't know about you, but like yesterday, was it yesterday? Two days ago? I don't know. I was in the backyard and all of a sudden I was like, I realized that we were going to get six tomato plants and we had four tomato cages. And so I looked in my garage and I'm like, well, I've got all these tools that my grandpa gave me and I've got all this like scrap wood that they left in the garage when we bought the house. I can build something, right? And so like I spent a couple hours in the afternoon building these wooden tomato cages and I got done and I looked at it and I'm like, that was a job well done. I have these super sturdy tomato cages with like, they look like somebody who knew what they were doing built them. <laughs> I'm very impressed. So yeah, it impressed Melanie. So it must be good. And like, but that feeling though, you know, like when you get done doing something that's worth doing, right? Like that is, that is the simultaneous truth that can live alongside depression and oppression. Right. Like you can say the world and the powers that are in this world, the earthly empires are terrible. 
And yet the kingdom of God is here and now, and there is work worth doing. And sometimes it's heading out to your garage and hoping you don't chop off a thumb on a power saw and making a, a tomato cage. And sometimes it's, you know, calling your neighbors. Sometimes it's, hey, I'm going to the store. Can I get you anything? You know, like finding the little ways to establish God's kingdom on earth, even while acknowledging that the earthly kingdoms are doing terrible things. Right. It, I, I think that's a really big part of what Jesus was doing is acknowledging the bad, flipping tables in the temple when the temple was corrupt. You know, like he, he opposed the earthly kingdoms for sure. They killed him for it. But he also took the time to heal Peter's mother-in-law when she was sick. He took the time on his way to heal the important guy's daughter to turn around because there was a poor woman in the crowd who had touched the hem of his robe and got healed. You know, like he found the little things to go this, this little thing right here. It doesn't look like much, but this is the kingdom of God. This is worth doing. And so I, I've been like feeling the apocalypse, right? <laughs> but the apocalypse, the word apocalypse, like you see apocalyptic movies and it's like the world's ending and everything is terrible, right? But the word apocalypse actually just means an unveiling of what is true, an unveiling of what is. And so, yeah, the apocalypse unveils a lot of awful things, but I think it also unveils the good and the ransom and the, the kingdom of God that has already been inaugurated by Christ as well. And so I, I think that that's, that's the spot we're in right now as Christians, is we need to acknowledge, yes, some things are awful. And we need to do everything we can to oppose those awful things. But also, there are some really good things happening too. And we need to do everything we can to support those good things. And to make sure that we are on the right side of history when this all gets written about, you know, 50 years from now. I want people 50 years from now to look back and go, man, that pandemic back in 2020, that is when the church kicked it into gear. That is when the third great awakening started. And that is when the people of God decided, oh, this is what we're about. This is what Christ has called us to do. This is how we love our neighbor. Let's get to work. So I, I, I love apocalypse. <laughs> I, I tell Melanie, like, I throw conversational grenades. I just say something controversial to see what comes out, right? Like, and so I think that's kind of the situation we're in right now. There's a crisis going on, right? And I think that maybe what it's doing is it's revealing what was true. What was true two years ago that we didn't know yet. And so now we're seeing things maybe a little more clearly and we see what needs to be done. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do coming out of this or even in the midst of this that maybe we sort of knew we had to do before, but we just didn't know where to start. And now there's this big thing right in front of us that like, hey, my neighbor needs groceries. I'm going to go get some groceries. I'm going to make my garden bigger. I'm going to give away produce once it starts growing. You know, like simple stuff, but making those choices day in, day out. And making sure you do the right thing to take care of people whenever you can. Like, I think that is the kingdom of God. And that is how we inaugurate the kingdom of God right here and right now. And so I don't know, you know, maybe that's not where you went. Maybe you didn't read First Peter 1 this morning and go, yes, apocalypse. Let's talk about apocalypse. Um, but I bet that God is saying something similar to each of us. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what you all wrote down when we were reading those passages this morning.